Thanks for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. We pray that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith in Jesus. We are happy to provide this resource to you, but as you know, this alone cannot meet the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we hope you'll be able to join us this Sunday at 10 a.m. Or if you're not in the area, give us a call and we'll do our best to help you find a good church to visit. For now, here is this week's message. That was good. Uh, well, it's good to be back with you again today. Um, this is third time in, a, in about a month, right? That you get to put up with me. Pastor Brian should be back in the saddle next Sunday. Hopefully you've been praying for him. I talked to him on the phone this week, definitely dealing with some pain and discomfort. So uh, he needs our prayers. And so hopefully you're praying for him as he recovers from his surgery and uh, we'll get to enjoy his presence uh, as he brings the word next Sunday. So this morning, uh, we're picking up where I left off last time, two weeks ago, in Matthew. We're in chapter six, if you have your Bible or your smart device. We're actually gonna be in Matthew chapter four and six and nine and a couple other places, but this is a good day to pull out your Bibles or your your smart devices and open your Bible app because we're gonna be jumping around some places. I think it'll be helpful. And and some of these passages I think would be helpful for you to highlight and make some notes on. Uh, The subject we're talking about today is is specifically, we're gonna be delving into the subject of fasting. Now, I mentioned that to you, I think five weeks ago, and uh, there was kind of a snicker in the crowd. Uh, This is a subject that, if I'm honest, we don't talk about a whole lot. And those are the, tend to be the subjects I like to preach on. Those kind of awkward, like, how can we never talk about this? Kind of that Bruno if you follow that Disney movie. Um, We don't talk about fasting. It's not something that we're really comfortable with. Now, I need to make sure we set up the context because we're in this section of Matthew chapter six. It's Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is giving this kind of introductory um, preaching and teaching to his early disciples. And in this particular section of Matthew chapter six, Jesus is addressing a common problem in the religious community of the day, and that is that when they do religious exercises or they perform religious activities, they do it in a way to try to draw a bunch of attention to themselves. And what Jesus is really honing in on in this particular section is the hypocrisy that can sometimes play out among religious people. And this is not just a problem of Jesus' day among those Jewish folks, but hypocrisy can be among any religion. I I, I remember I spent some time doing some missionary work in Malaysia many years ago, and on Friday, during the Muslim call to prayer, the bars were filled. Half the men went to the prayer, half the men went to the bar. But they all took off work for prayers. So we know, and I don't say that to knock them, but we know that this challenge of trying to look good and do the right thing while actually not is a common human problem. We tend to wear masks. We tend to want to look good even when we're not doing good. 
And so Jesus addresses that topic and he talks about giving, he talks about prayer, and he talks about fasting. And I was listening to a preacher this week and I, I like this preacher and he's, he generally is on track or I'm on track with him. And he says, Jesus pointing out kind of the three biggies that define religiosity of the day, giving, praying, and fasting. He said, if Jesus were preaching the same sermon to the church today, he would probably talk about going to church, reading your Bible and praying. And then he went on to say, so I'm not gonna actually preach on fasting. And I went, what? Completely copped out on fasting. And then he went another direction completely. But this morning, more than I think the subject is on fasting, I think the real subject is, is, on, this, is on, are you hungry for God? And that's where we're gonna zoom in today. So big picture, zoom in, are we really hungry for God? Fasting is really about hunger. It's what is that deep desire within us. As I was processing this message this week, I came into a thought in my head, a thought came into my head. I remember the first time I was so hungry and, and yearning and longing for something. And probably one of my earliest, earliest thoughts to that was I was, it was the year 1999. I was a relatively newlywed, been about three years at that point, and we had just had our first child, not too much, not even, a, she wasn't even a year old yet, Abigail, and I was asked to go to a training conference in Birmingham, Alabama. We lived about 250 miles away. For two weeks, I wasn't going to see my family. Now, for those of you who were born after the year 1999 in the room or around that time, we didn't have cell phones. There was no texting capacity. I couldn't, you know, like, I couldn't like FaceTime my family and be like, oh, how are you doing? Nothing like that. It was two weeks that I was going to be away from the people, the only people that I genuinely and deeply loved on this planet, my wife and my daughter, and as I'm driving out of town, I just start crying, like boo-hoo. Now, I'm a bit of a crier, so yeah, all right, it's okay. But I am crying and saying, I don't want to go. I don't want to be away from them. And I just, I just sobbed. And then that whole two weeks while I was there in Birmingham doing great training and it was good and I'm glad I did it, every chance I got, I was looking for a phone because there wasn't one in my pockets so that I could call home and just talk to the love of my life and hear about the baby crying or spitting up or whatever you know newborn babies do. That was my week, like that, or two weeks of that. I don't know about you, but there's, there's a hunger sometimes for something that we, we want, something we desire. Oftentimes it's a loved one. Maybe you were a kid at camp and you just had that homesickness, but that hunger, a longing, a yearning to be with the one you love, that is what fasting is about. And I think it's important for us to, to lay that foundation right out of the gate. Now, I think it's not strange that we don't talk about fasting much. Fasting is, to define it most simply is, for Christians, fasting is denying yourself food for the purpose of spiritual, um, a, a spiritual purpose, to pursue God, to desire after God, to hunger after God, instead of to fill our stomach with a meal. But I, like you, if I drive down 501, 
fried chicken and potatoes and deep frozen milk with sugar and flavors just is like yelling at me. You, you as well? Like how many more chicken billboards do we need to know we need fried chicken, right? We love our food. And so I'm not surprised we don't wanna talk about fasting. America among the wealthiest nations of the world also has one of the highest diabetes rates in the world. We have a lot of money, we have a lot of food, and we love it. So we're really gonna talk about fasting? Yes. Tim Keller, the late Timothy Keller, while not talking about fasting, made this statement. I think the application is so good and so just appropriate to this. He says, everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. We're all worshiping. But who or what are we really worshiping? In fasting, we stop what we don't often think of as worship of food to turn our attention to worship of God. That's the idea. So let's look at some scripture related to fasting. In Matthew chapter four, Brian covered this for us back in October. Didn't drill down on the fasting component of it. Um, This is Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. Jesus was led up by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Did Jesus fast? Yes, he did. Fasted a long time. This was the beginning of his ministry. But Jesus makes this powerful point to Satan, and I think we need to know it, and we need to remember it, that we do not live by bread alone, but we live by the word of God. At least we should. From a young age, probably not too unlike you, I was taught to eat three meals a day, put some good sweet snacks in between those, ice cream before bedtime, it's the mission of the day, right? Anybody disagree with me on the ice cream? There's another church around here, no, 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 don't, 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 don't. But I wonder if you could calculate all of the time of your life and all of the money of your life that you have spent on food. How much do you think we spend of our hours and our money on eating? It consumes us, doesn't it? I mean, even when we're not eating, we're talking about what we're going to eat. And after we've ate, we talk about what we ate. Some of you woke up this morning and you didn't talk about what the sermon would be in church today. You talked about what you're eating for lunch, right? I mean, let's just be real. Like, we love our food. Food consumes us. And Jesus says, this really shouldn't be. We, we don't live by bread alone, but by the word of God. 
And Jesus is asked on about fasting. Let's go to Matthew chapter six, the next verse here. Jesus addresses the subject of fasting and he says, when you fast. He doesn't, he doesn't say if you fast, if you should think about fasting. He makes this assumption that, that we're just gonna fast. And he did the same thing on giving and on praying, which is why when I talked about that preacher that I like and he, he cheaped out on fasting, it was, it's funny because he, he drilled down on the word when, when, he talked about when you give and when you pray. He's like, that when, God assumes that you should do this, but we're not gonna talk about fasting. Ah, come on, man. Because nobody wants to talk about this. But he says, and when, Jesus says, when you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites. So that's this, the big topic here in this whole section of scripture. He says, they like to disfigure their faces so that their fasting may be seen by others. And truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head with oils. Some of your translations say, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who's in secret. And your father who sees in secret, secret will reward you. Now there's that topic of reward again. And uh, as I said on the previous two messages on this, in this area, there is a wrong way to do a right thing. And Jesus says, if you're gonna fast, everybody should know about it. Like seriously, if you're walking around going, oh my goodness, oh my word, I didn't eat breakfast today. I am fasting for the Lord. You're doing it wrong. If that's what you're doing, you're doing it wrong. That's Jesus' point. And if you're like, whoa, this week is a, a, day of, a week of dedication and I'm gonna be fasting lunch all week. So don't ask me to have lunch with you this week because I am dedicating my lunches unto Jesus. And he says, and if that's what you're doing, you're doing it wrong. If you're fasting, this is a, a personal devotional decision that needs to stay between you and God. Now, we do know, if you read your Old Testament and uh, in the New Testament as well, we'll see a passage in a little bit, that sometimes fasting is done in a corporate way, but it's not done for the crowd. I wanna go out on a limb and say that very few people in our church, and some people watch online, that very few, if any of us, struggle with fasting to get attention. <laughs> I'm... I would just kind of want to ask if by show of hands if you've ever fasted to get attention, but I'm not going to. I don't think we do that. I, I don't want to say this is an irrelevant passage for us, but I don't know that this is the prevailing challenge for most of us. And I think it's also important to know that Jesus did not put an overly high regard on fasting. And I'm going to say this, and, and this is from Luke chapter 18. Jesus talks about uh, two men and, the ch and, and two religious men. He says, there were once, uh, there were these two men. One declared, I fast twice a week. And the other said, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, one of these men was in right relationship with God and the other one was not. And it wasn't the one who was fasting. Jesus does not overemphasize fasting. In fact, interestingly, um, we, though I don't think that as a church we've been taught well on the subject, and I think that's why most people don't fast, we also have to be careful not to say that fasting is commanded in the New Testament for every believer. You cannot find a passage that says, thou shalt fast. But let's talk about fasting in the, in the church age, uh, scripturally. Let's go to the next passage. Matthew chapter 9. Richard Foster says that this is probably the most pivotal, pivotal passage on fasting 
for every Christian to know. Matthew chapter nine. I'm stealing from a future sermon of Brian's. I didn't even ask for permission. So, but this is what Jesus says. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Here's the idea. The Pharisees fast. John, John the Baptist, his disciples fast. But Jesus' disciples, they don't fast. And people want to know why. And Jesus says to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The idea is, Jesus says, I'm with my wedding guests. I'm the groom. The church is the bride of Christ. Can they mourn while I'm with them? Which is interesting because he, Jesus tacks on this idea of mourning or sadness or sorrow with fasting. And he says, the days are going to come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. And then, then they, they will fast. Then they'll fast. The days will come. Jesus just assumes that that day is going to come. Jesus knows he's going to go to the cross. He's going to die. He's going to be resurrected. And he says, and that day, the church will fast. The followers of Christ will fast. Zip forward a couple, go to the next passage there in Acts. There we go. And we read this. And there aren't a lot of passages, primarily in Acts and Corinthians, where we read about fasting. But this is the one I want to pull out. Specifically, he says, now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. So there's this big group of people there in the church. And while they were worshiping the Lord and, what's the word? Fasting. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then after, there it is, fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and sent them off. Fasting and prayer always found together in scripture. The purpose of fasting is to seek the face of God, to hunger for God. And we see fasting taking place after Jesus is gone in the New Testament church. If we read uh, texts outside of scripture written about or by the early Christian church, we see that Fasting was often practiced twice a week by first century Christians, twice a week. We don't have a whole lot of details about what all was included in that. But I will say this, somewhere along the way, we lost our way regarding fasting. I was reading a, about fasting a couple weeks ago. John Piper makes a statement from the, from the 1850s to the 1950s among Protestants not a single book specifically on fasting was published. A hundred years of silence on fasting. Curious. In most churches around the world, uh, church leaders don't think about fasting. We don't talk about fasting. We talk about church growth strategies. We talk about changing the carpet or God forbid, ripping out pews and putting in chairs. But we don't talk about fasting. And I wonder if God is calling us to something that maybe we dropped off and fell off along the way. And I think scripturally, I think the answer is yes. God has called us to fast. Now we know we live in this age of grace. We live in the mercy of God and we don't fast to earn God's blessing. We don't fast and say, okay, God, I have fasted, therefore you owe me something. But our fasting 
should be this joyful surrender to receive the fullness of God. Now, I, will, I, do, I think it's important to point out this. If the doctor says you cannot fast, do not hear me saying you should fast. I like the way Martin Lloyd-Jones approached this topic. He says, um, if you have cardiac issues, if you're an expectant mother, if you have other reasons why you can't fast, if no fasting is for you, that's fine. The great physician knows all about that and something else will work for you. He goes on to say, fasting, if we conceive of it truly, must not be confined to the question of food and drink. Fasting should really be made to include abstinence from anything which is legitimate in and of itself for the sake of spiritual purpose. And the reason why, I think, is because food is not really the issue. The issue is, are you willing to deny something that you spend your life on in order to pursue God? In fasting, what controls you gets revealed. If you don't believe that, have any of you ever heard of the term hangry? Anybody married to somebody who gets hangry? Do you know why we get hangry? Because dinner wasn't on time, that's right, no. Because when we deny our flesh what it desires, whatever that desire may be, even if they're good desires, the flesh rises up and the emotions come out. Pride, anger, frustration, sadness. And now we're forced to deal with those. We know this is true. We medicate with food all the time. I'm so angry I need a bowl of chocolate ice cream. I'm just sad. Mashed potatoes and gravy would be really good right about now. Food is our medicine. For some of you, scrolling on your device is your medicine. I am so mad at her. Mm. For some of you, playing video games is your medicine. For others, gardening is your medicine. Or rearranging the house. Or shopping for more clothes you don't need. Some of the guys, go ahead, say amen. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't do it. So the question is, are any of those things in and of themselves bad? No. But we are called to surrender those things that are often good things so that, I, I believe, so that those emotions, those things within us that we anesthetize through food or whatever else will be revealed so that we can surrender them to God. Anything that God created as good can become bad if we allow it to be our substitute for God and to rule over us. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. I'm not gonna be mastered by anything. And so the question is, if, though food may be beneficial, it may be good. I'm not saying don't go have lunch today, but the question is, if that food masters you, maybe God is calling you to a time of surrender of that food so that you can put him first. And I think the reason why we should do that is because Jesus is better. He's better than food. Jesus is better than having your hunger satisfied. In Matthew 4, Jesus declared, as we already read, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
And I love that Jesus tells us in John chapter six, he says, I am the bread of life. I believe God gave us this capacity for human hunger. You realize God could have made you to never need food. You know that? Like he could have made it by, whereby you walk through the air and that static electricity gives you the energy you need to go about your day. He could have done that. You ever, maybe we'll get to heaven and be like, God, why didn't you try that method? I believe the reason why he gave us this hunger was so that we would recognize that these bodies should not control us. We are spiritual beings having a physical experience and God knew that when he created us and and Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And, And he says, if you will come to me, you won't hunger. And whenever you believe in me, you won't even thirst. Well, he certainly can't be talking about food and drink there. But remember, Jesus at the woman at the well says to her, boy, lady, if you knew the, with who you were, you were having water, you would realize I'm the well that never runs dry. I'm the living water. And he says, I, I come to satisfy those deepest longings in you that you think are about food and drink, and they really aren't. Jesus is our, the bread of life. He is our living water. And Paul says to us in 1 Corinthians 8, he says, food does not commend you to God. What you eat, what you don't drink, what you should drink or not drink or eat or not eat, that's not what makes you right with God. What makes you right with God is, is not what... You eat and drink. And so I think it's important for us to, to say, you know what, if you, if, you, if you are committed to a weekly fast, great. If fasting, you're just like, I don't think God's calling me to fast food. Okay, fine, whatever. Neither one of those things commend you to God. We are in right relationship with God on the basis of one thing and one thing alone. Jesus Christ, not food. And so we need to be careful not to over-apply this. But food, never forsaken, for the, sake, for the pursuit of God fails to provide us an opportunity to encounter God and know God in a way that he desires for us to. I think deep down we are missing out spiritually if we won't miss out on food. And scripture seems to carry that same idea. The question we really have to deeply ask is, do we really long for Jesus Like I long to be home with my wife and my newborn baby. Do we long for Jesus like that? Do we we even give ourselves an opportunity when our emotions are stirred to let God satisfy those rather than food satisfy those? I fear many of God's children do not hunger for more of God. I think one of the biggest problems that we face, and I'm gonna say it, in Baptist churches, in vanilla, average, normal American Christianity, is we hunger to go to church, we hunger for the place where we feel like we belong to do our religious exercises, but we don't hunger for God. And we are missing out on one of the greatest blessings that God wants not to fill our bellies, but to fill our souls with the daily food of his spirit. And while there's no command, thou must fast, there's a principle throughout scripture that we should. Practically speaking, sometimes people ask, so, so how, how should I fast? Well, first of all, I'll just say, if you, if you have heart issues, 
If you're very young, if you're very old, if you're pregnant, if your doctor says you shouldn't fast, then don't. Don't fast food, okay? I think like with everything, we need to sometimes learn to walk before we can run. And maybe God's saying, I want you to fast and you're able to do fast food. Or, or maybe it's not food, maybe it's something else because you can't fast food. Start with one meal. Start with one segment of whatever the thing is God may be calling you to fast. Just one. But the goal is not to fast that meal so that you can get more work done. The goal is not to fast that meal so you can lose weight. The goal of doing that fast is one, one and only one purpose, to get filled up on God. And so the time you would have spent preparing the meal, eating the meal, cleaning up the meal, you devote that whole section of time unto the Lord. And maybe it's not just one meal down the road, maybe it's a whole week of meals, I don't know. But Richard Foster in his book on, on the spiritual disciplines says, when fasting is done right, fasting is not hunger, fasting is feasting. And when I read that, I, I couldn't help but think of Psalm 23, where it says, the Lord prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. God prepares this beautiful script, the early, early New Testament church called it the love feast. But it's, it's not just a physical place of food, but a spiritual feasting whereby we can eat. And Jesus, Jesus one day is, is praying and his disciples come to him and, and they, they're like urging him, Jesus, you need to eat. You've got to be hungry. And he says, I have food to eat that you guys don't even know about. And you know what I love about the, about the scriptures? They tell us the real truth about these crazy disciples. You know what the disciples say when Jesus says, I have food you don't even know about? They're like, oh, did somebody bring him food? Where's the food? Did you bring him food? I didn't bring him food. Where's the food? I imagine Jesus is like, ah, oh, you idiots, come on. I'm not talking about food. I am the food. I'm, I'm, I'm pressing into God. I want to receive the fullness of him. And Jesus ponders in Matthew, later on in the scripture in the book of Matthew, Jesus ponders this crazy question. He says, I wonder when the son of man returns if he'll even find faith on the earth. Will there even be believers anymore? And I guess the question we have to ask is, do we hunger for him? Does our faith drive us to desire him? And I want to challenge us as a church. We talk a lot about a lot of great things. I'm so excited about the marriage ministry, um, re-engage. Angela and I have had a, a beautiful opportunity to kind of be in the preliminary working around some of that, along with some other couples. I'm really excited about the conversations that we're having as a church about church growth and how we can be um, moving into the next generation and thinking about how as a church we're gonna really reach this community for Christ. I'm excited about our Sunday school class. Here's a little selfish commercial interruption plug. Our Sunday school class is about to start a new book um, um, next Sunday from Tim Keller, The Reason of God, talking about skepticism in this modern day of, of reason. So it's kind of like if you struggle with skepticism, great Sunday school class, room 209, come join us. Um, yeah, I did that. Um, you know, I'm excited about, about our church. Last Sunday, Angela, I worshiped in another church, and, and I was like, man, it, it's just, I'm, I'm, there was, it's just, we miss First Baptist when we're not here. Like, I'm excited about what God's doing here. I'm excited about what God's doing in my life, but, but ultimately, we also have to ask, are we excited about these things? Are we excited, excited about this stuff, this place, these people? Are we excited about what God is doing? And, and will we surrender even a meal to say, God, I want you to 
to move in our church. God, I don't want us to just do good things. I want, I want you, God, to be the thing that is the good at our church and in my life and in my family. And I'm wondering if, if maybe we've lost sight of that along the way. If you have a sin that you're struggling to overcome, if you have a situation that you need guidance with, if you have a marriage that's on the rocks, if you have a relationship that you're not even sure how to move forward in it, if you have children that are wayward, these are all beautiful opportunities to pray and fast and say, God, I'm gonna just deny myself and seek your face because God rewards our acts of faith. Likely someone in this room has never even done the first act of surrender, of saying, God, I want you. And if that's you, this is a great day to just say, Jesus, I come to you recognizing that I haven't hungered and thirsted for you. I've hungered and thirsted for a whole lot of things in this world. And I've satisfied my flesh, only it's not satisfied. And I'm done with the junk food, and I just want to be filled up on the real food of Jesus. And if that's you, I challenge you, encourage you, beg you to take some time before you even leave this place to say, God, I come to you and I want to know the fullness of your love. I want to receive your forgiveness for my sin. I want you, Jesus. For those of you who do know Christ, you are his follower. We're going to take communion a little bit, if you can open the thing. Take some dexterity. We're gonna, ha- Pastor Scott's gonna come up and while he's playing music, I'm gonna invite you to do two things. One, figure out how to open this. Very pragmatic. Second of all, I invite you as we prepare to take in the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, the real food, the food that satisfies our soul. I'm gonna invite you to prepare your hearts. Jesus took bread on the night that he was betrayed. And after blessing it, the word of God tells us, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do you feed on Jesus? Does he satisfy the hunger of your soul? He said, take and eat, this is my body. And then he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of our sins. Church, Jesus is the, food, the true food. He is the true drink. He is the well that never runs dry. He is the food for our souls. I'm gonna invite you to join with me in a time of prayer. And ask him, to prepare your heart to receive the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, but also to guide you and to tell you what his will is for you with regard to fasting. Ask him to give you that hunger. There's times in my life I'm not hungry, but I know I need to eat. And maybe that's you spiritually. You're not hungry for God, but you know you need to eat. And say, God, would you give me that hunger? Make me thirst for you. Tell him what's on your heart. Invite him to prepare you to receive the feast that we'll take together in just a minute. 
Let's pray. Jesus, Jesus, we know that you are the food for our soul. You are the bread that will satisfy the deepest longing of our heart. We confess that too often, God, we have sought our satisfaction in our flesh, in our worldly pursuits, in the things that you created us for good. But they have replaced what you desire to do that is great in us. God, we hunger and thirst for more of you. We ask, Lord, that you would do a new work in us, that you would do a new work in our church, that you would make us hunger and thirst for your righteousness. We love you, and we are so thankful that we get to feast at your table together now. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was broken for you, take and eat in remembrance that Christ died for you.
the blood of Christ poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Let us drink in remembrance that Christ died for us. Let us receive him by faith with thanksgiving, church. If today, some of the things that were shared were confusing or frustrating or maybe you have more questions, I would love to talk with you about it. I know Pastor Brian usually says, talk to Pastor Scott. I would love to talk with you more about fasting. If today you responded in faith for the first time and asked God to move in your heart and cleanse you of your sin, there's a connection room in the hallway, right off the hallway back here. There will be some folks in there that you could talk to about that. Would love for you to share. I'll also be up here. Would love to talk with you about that. The Lord wants to move in, your, in all of us. He wants us to hunger and thirst for more of him. And I challenge you this week to set aside some time. Maybe you haven't been doing that. Or maybe, maybe you have, but maybe God's calling you to something new, something bigger, something different. And set aside some time for him, to know him, to hunger for him.